Hello everyone, this is Fahed. I'm here with Poppy Knight. Hello. It's been a minute. This is the second season of Audiobookish. And yeah, we just decided we needed to take a little bit of a break from recording, but we're back now. We've got some exciting plans uh, mm-hmm. for this season. I haven't spoken to Poppy for a while. Just uh, let's have a bit <laughs> of a catch up with uh, what you've been kind of like uh, listening to, reading and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so in connection with us feeling like we needed a bit of a break, things have been a bit busy. So I've not done a ton of um, of listening to stuff, but I did decide to go back and start re-listening to the His Not Materials audiobooks, which if you listen to our first episode, you know how much I love those and bear with for more on that. But I just kind of spontaneously decided I wanted to uh, listen to those again. So I've started doing that. I'm a good way through those. I actually recently also found out that the Winnie the Pooh books, which I love so much um, and, you know, loved as a child, still love now wrote an essay that I'm really proud on at university <laughs> about him. I found that there was an audiobook recording that Bernard Cribbins had narrated, who I'm also a fan of. I enjoy his his comedy songs and uh, the comedy roles he's done in, in stuff. Um, Black Ball is a very good film, if anyone there uh, wants a good, fun, uh, a good fun film. But yes, and I thought, oh yes, his voice in Winnie the Pooh was going to be great. So I've started listening to that as well, which is really lovely. I listen to that point to sleep. I'm not sure his Piglet is the voice I would have for Piglet. It's a bit harsh for me, but the Pooh and, the, and Christopher Robin and everyone is, yeah, is really nice. So I don't, it's not a kind of a series that I know a lot about in terms of like the books so it's kind of like is it one book or is it a series of books um so it's stories within a book so um first book is the house at Pooh corner i think or is that the second one oh no i (laughs) promise i'm a really big fan guys um there's i'm pretty sure there's winnie the pooh there's the house at Pooh corner but yeah it's kind of um chapters of stories it starts off really lovely that christopher robin comes downstairs and Pooh is bouncing down the stairs as he as he comes down Pooh bear and um he wants to be told a story so his dad tells him a story about when uh, when Pooh bear wanted to get some honey uh and that's that's the first story in it and then you, you get lots of other different stories of the adventures of uh, winnie the pooh and his friends in the hundred acre wood and the part that Christopher Robin plays in it. And they're just they're just really, really beautiful and lovely. And yeah, I, I cry every time. <laughs> yeah. I kind of only know about the characters through like the Disney cartoon. Mm-hmm. So I imagine when you're listening to like an audio book, the cartoon voices, you might yeah. have an idea of what they're supposed to sound like. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Because yeah. Winnie the Pooh has that very distinct voice, doesn't he? Um, but yeah, I mean, Bernard's isn't exactly the same as that, but it has some of the similar stuff in it that it kind of works. It is it is kind of a thing with how popular the Disney one is that you can't deviate from that too much. Yeah. You can't give Winnie the Pooh a completely different voice. Um, so yeah, and yeah, I definitely do still hear that because I also, you know, know the Disney stuff. The um, There was a, a TV series that was made um, with puppets that I really love can't remember that that was called either um i think that was it's something about the book but anyway yeah but it was it had puppet versions of um all the characters and it was fabulous i remember watching it before i would go to school and that's kind of one of my biggest memories of it apart from the actual book okay. and yeah i've got a really lovely green cloth bound book of it which yeah i love returning to and then yeah now i found this audiobook that is really nice as well yeah, so I've been listening to kind of a few different audiobooks. So I've listened to Cane Warriors by Alex Wheatle, which is mm. an account of 
the kind of fictionalized account of um, slave uprising in Jamaica. Uh, it's got a beautiful performance by the narrator. Noel Arthur is the narrator and he kind of gives a real heft to kind of like and um, kind of pathos toward the characters. Really horrible things happen mm. to them. The other one that I really enjoyed listening to was Witch by Finbar Hawkins. That's narrated by uh, Gemma Whelan of um, Game of Thrones frame. Oh, mm-hmm. It's kind of a YA fantasy novel about this young woman whose mother is brutally murdered because she's a witch. And it's a kind of a tale of survival and revenge in 17th century England. And Gemma Whelan just does a superb performance. You know, she does this kind of broad West country accent. Mm. That's kind of, you kind of think that, oh, you know, when people put on accents from that area of the country, it can kind of uh, go into comedy a little yeah, bit. Or, yeah, a bit caricatured. Yeah, but it never goes into that area. Just just all the pain and mm. uh, anguish that Gemma is able to kind of imbue into the text is just like right there, which I think is um, maybe a good segue into mm. the... Um, well, I say book, it's uh, the audio play that we're going to be talking about today. Do you want to introduce it, Poppy? Yeah, I will do. So yeah, jumping into the ish part of audio bookish, but yes, it yes. definitely counts, I think. Yeah. Um, the one that we promised you at the end of the last series, we're going to be talking about Guthrun, the Radio 4 drama. Um, so Guthrun, a young woman in 11th century Iceland, must forge her path through a world of unearthly beauty, yet uncompromising harshness, starring Kate Phillips. Lucy Catherine's retelling of the Icelander classic, the Laxdala Saga. Written in the 13th century, it tells of the people in the Brithafjörðu area of Iceland from the late 9th to the early 11th century. It particularly focuses on a love triangle between Guðrun, Kjartan and Botli. The Laxdala Saga remains popular and appreciated for its poetic beauty and pathetic sentiment. Yeah, and it is by Lucy Catherine, who is a writer for film, television and radio. There's not a lot of like biographical information about Lucy, so I'm just going to read out a bunch of things that she's worked on. So she's had commissions for television, which include Tin Star, Lucky Man, AD, uh, season two for NBC, The Musketeers, Spotless, uh, Frankie for the BBC, Being Human, which is like one of my favourite TV mm. shows of like the past 10 years. Her commissions for radio include Gundren and an adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology broadcast in Christmas 2018. She's also responsible for the adaptations of uh, Night at the Circus, Boy Going Solo by Roald Dahl, and just too many credits to mention here. But some really good ones there. Yeah, wow. really, really good ones. And you know, I think in 2021, she was nominated for an audio drama award for her work on uh, that Neil Gaiman series. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's like a proper top quality writer, which I think kind of is really demonstrated in- um, Definitely, in, yes. Uh, kind of in this. So this was my choice. And I, I first came across the series a few years ago and I was kind of on an audio drama podcast kick and it's mm-hmm. just immediately, it just grabbed me from kind of like the first opening episode. So it was really nice for me to go back and re-listen to mm. you know, to see you know the first episode and kind of rediscovering, re-remembering all the things that happened. What did you? What were your kind of initial impressions of it? Yeah, well, it's really interesting that you say that because I 
overall, I loved it. I think it's incredible. And yeah, yeah I hope that's going to come across in the episode because I think it's fantastic and everyone should definitely listen to it. And thank you so much for suggesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my first impressions weren't like bad ones, but I wasn't as gripped by it as I then became a lot later on. So I guess it's the kind of thing where you hear like, oh, it's based on an Icelandic saga and you're like, oh, okay then. <laughs> yeah. um, and you're kind of expecting a lot of action and stuff which does come later on but isn't really there at the start so it felt a bit more like a period drama than it did like, yes, like would, an Icelandic would, saga yeah I would agree with that yeah very much so yeah yeah, yeah. so because the lead in it Guthrun is a woman and as we said in kind of 9th to 11th century so obviously not usually the kind of one that would be out doing the Viking pillaging and, and things like that at the beginning it's an issue of their family wanting to keep their land and marrying her off um you know tactically in that way it was that sort of who am i gonna marry am i gonna marry for love am i gonna marry for how the money slash the land works and things like that and yeah domestic and period drama is sort of how it feels at the start and a bit slow maybe than what i was expecting yeah, I think I'd kind of slightly agree with that. I think so the way that they've structured the series, it's kind of in 15 minute mm -hmm. episodes, which I think works really well in terms of yeah. they have to get a beginning, a middle and, and an ending in each chapter. Um, the thing that grabbed me was the first, I think it's the first narration by uh, Freya. Mm. So Freya's one of the old Norse gods, for those that don't know, and she acts as a narrator throughout the series. And the bit where she's describing when Gudrun's, dad comes back we've got one image of him being this brave warrior conquering uh, and bringing mm. back all this gold and then like Freya says no that's not actually the story the story is that he brutally murdered yeah. this man and kidnapped and raped that man's daughter so that's the thing that kind of grabbed me and I was just mm. kind of oh that's that's really I don't know if it's a subversion but it's kind of like playing with your expectations of yeah. stories that men tell and this, you know, what the actual fact is. Yeah, definitely. There's so much about kind of glorifying that violence and things like that and how that plays. Certainly as you go on, it is a very violent thing and we are listening to it for our own enjoyment, you know? Yeah. But there are definite questions in there of what is way warrior and what is that's just you butchering people kind of thing, definitely. And it's interesting what you say about the 15-minute um, episodes because, yeah, that's how they come out and... I get what you mean. They definitely can stand alone as each one as you keep going through. But I found myself not realising that I'd got through to the next episode. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like, it was just playing on nicely. And I think that's the good thing about it. They, they have structured it well. It's not like it just randomly stops <laughs> at yeah. a random point because it's hit 15 minutes or anything like that. But equally, it's not like, oh, I finished that episode. I'm done now. I'll come back to it later. It does really flow through. Yes, I think that's um, it. Really does speak to the quality of the writing. Mm, really does sure. feel like it's chapters in a book rather than yes. separate episodes. And for any writers of whatever discipline, I think this is really kind of like a masterclass on how to pace mm. a story and plot. Because you know they're only fifteen minute episodes, but they're so kind of a lot happens. Yeah, and you don't realize a lot happens in that one fifteen minute chunk. Yeah, even the ones that I was saying were kind of slower in the earlier ones, you still do have a lot that happens. I guess it's just more that it's a lot more um, emotional and social stuff that happens, I guess. 
And then when you get in the later series, there's a hell of a lot of plotting that happens between the start of one episode and the end of another. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. So I'm just kind of looking down at my notes and mm-hmm. like the first note that I've got down on here, well, there's two notes, terrible men and kind of mm. bad decisions. Kind of like there are mm. some really, truly awful men in this story, starting with Gudrun's father, mm-hmm. who's just a complete despicable uh, yeah. sack of shit, really. And then Gudrun's first husband mm. as well. I think there's this vein of um, fiction that's being published at the moment. I'm thinking about uh, the reimagining of like the Greek myths mm-hmm. uh, from the feminist perspective. Thinking about, I think it's called Women of Troy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say. Circe. And mm-hmm. um, I've just finished reading The Wolf Den by Elodie Harper, putting a feminist or, or more female-centric focus and a narrative on these events that happened in the past. I was just wondering what your take on that was as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And that is, you know, there for sure. It's nice, though, that it's not, you, I guess you might expect from hearing that, that like, all the men are evil (laughs) and it's that man-hating kind of thing but it's really really not it's just showing that some are a majority are that they are encouraged to be is a big part of it yeah the king of the danes son is sent away to learn how to be a man from a really (laughs) to use your phrase (laughs) despicable sack of shit or whatever um you know and these ideas of uh, well being a man is going in with a load of a huge army and a load of weapons to take stuff from people whereas actually no that's not that's not what it is i mean if anything that's the cowardly way of doing things yeah so yeah it doesn't say all men are horrible all women are great in any way shape or form but it has that more i guess the idea that you know feminism is about equality it's not yeah. about putting women above that's the whole yeah um good point of it and yeah i think yeah i think many of the men are kind of responsible for the horrible things that happen to good i'm not too mm-hmm. sure how i actually feel about gundren as a character yeah. mm-hmm. i'm not too sure i've got a great deal of like sympathy through yeah. the stuff that she goes through but she does do some like horrible things herself she does and she makes some really big mistakes and i'll try and not say it in too spoilery of a way but the action that she does because she is jealous really disappointed me yeah and obviously has a lot of negative consequences but that really disappointed me a kind of petty jealousiness and then acting upon that is more the more the issue but yeah definitely far from perfect and you know she admits she's made some mistakes but it's also kind of interesting because it's it's hard to know which ones are the mistakes and which ones aren't you know in which ways would you do the same in which ways would you not it's a really yeah. interesting kind of thing if you were really made to sit down and dissect it yeah it's it's very interesting moral dilemmas and, and stuff that you don't you don't get solved at the end there's no kind of feeling of resolution at the end where you're like oh well this bit was right that bit could have been better there we go we're all sorted it is a real moral turmoil yeah it's kind of um she does get faced with like some uh, scenarios where there are no good choices it's kind mm, of like um yeah. choosing between two evils and there's it kind of really comes across she's uh i, I, I don't want to say pride but she's kind of like quite a driven and determined mm. person um i think like her father described her as a wild horse that needs to be broken in i hate i hate that description but it's kind of mm. like that oh you know you're a woman with her own ideas and therefore you need to be kind of put in your place and that central uh pressure kind of runs all the way through each of the seasons really Mm, yeah she's not going to be tamed by that and that really is something to be praised for it's sort of like if we link back to um 
the Sandy Toxvig book that we yes. reviewed. That kind of idea that a lot of these women in history are great, but great can mean <laughs> morally despicable slash ambiguous or whatever. I think that's the thing you've really got to admire Gudrun, even if you think she's a bad person, even if you think she's done bad things. I think that's kind of a thing of the saga. And I guess it is a bit like with, you know, Viking warriors as well. And you can certainly admire a lot of her qualities without it all neatly being great. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, I've got conflicted feelings about her, whether or not, I I think there's a lot about her character that I, I admire. There's a lot of things that she does within the mm-hmm. story that I admire, the strength that she demonstrates mm-hmm. and the tenacity and the cunning and the courage yeah. that she shows. But there's still these moments where you just think, oh, you really, mm-hmm. you really should have thought more carefully about that. I think one of the things that really came across to me and it's just occurring to me now actually is like her need for intimacy. And I don't know where that's a byproduct of her father being away, but she seems to fall in love quite, quite often. Yeah. I thought this is really interesting because yeah, so she has a lot of lovers throughout it, but it is very much played in that way. It's very much played in a, she falls in love a lot as opposed to showing it as merely the physical attraction which she also enjoys and it also you know does a a good way of showing that she enjoys it and she's allowed to enjoy and she's allowed to go out and seek it but it also yeah it isn't just that she has a lot of very deep relationships in there while still massively holding a torch for Kiartan the whole time yes and yeah I thought that was really interesting and I think it is with a lot of I mean, I guess a lot of fiction and certainly like long running TV shows and things like that, there'll be, you know, so many partners that people will have. Take Friends, for example. The six of them have plenty of different partners and different people will say, oh, they should have ended up with this person. They should have ended up with that person and stuff like that. It's uh, rather than a really, I guess, monogamous ideal. It's not. She has many deep relationships that are all, they don't have to be compared to the other. It doesn't have to be a kind of, oh, well, that one was a mistake because it meant she came to this one. It's like, no, it's not like the ideal for her necessarily is, or certainly not after Kyoto, and it's not like the ideal is to find the one. Yeah. You know, which is quite refreshing in a way. So, I mean, I did a little bit of research. So I kind of read the Wikipedia entry about mm-hmm. the actual original myth. And like uh, Lucy Catherine's basically taken a lot of liberties. Yes. With what actually happens in mm-hmm. <laughs> the original myth. So yeah, I think she's taken, right, this is like a base of quite an interesting story and yeah, gone yeah. off in her own direction. But yeah, the the original, can we do spoilers for like uh, a 200 year old or, you know, however old this, um, it's tricky, yeah. isn't it? I'm trying not to, cause I don't, I don't want yeah. to ruin too much for people if they haven't yeah. heard it yet. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of, if you're a big fan of, of the, the Icelandic saga, mm-hmm. she does take liberty. So it's definitely worth listening to see where she goes off in her own interesting, creative, um, directions. Um, mm-hmm. what else kind of grabbed you about the audiobook? I mean, I say audio, but the radio play audio. Play, yeah. Well, I just yeah. want to quickly on that though, because I, having become very gripped with it by the end, bought myself a copy of a translation of the Laxdela saga. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I haven't had a chance to read it yet. It only arrived yesterday. But flicking through it, there is a like genealogical table, you know, like a family tree kind of thing of um, Guthrie's suitors. <laughs> yeah. And I, lo- I love that that gets a whole page. Um, and I think there are even more in the in the radio play, including women in there as well. So yeah, brilliant. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. And yeah, I 
I get you. It's, I mean, it's a tradition of everything. And, and this saga probably came from, you know, various other tellings and stories and things brought into one. But yeah, what Lucy Catherine's done to pull it all together into what it is, is incredible. It's really good. And that's the thing she's taken inspiration from different places. I really liked how the Norse mythology stuff, and this is a lot of this certainly is probably in the original, but how in a lot of ways this is a, a like the world of the people, you know, the Midgard actual world parallel to what's happening with the gods kind of thing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Kind of. So Freya does narrations about mm. what's happened in Norse myth and yeah. how that's got kind of like a symmetry between what's actually, yeah. actually happening in the real world as well. Yeah. Exactly. In a lot of ways, she's kind of a parallel to Freya, including you know, it says in the thing about taking many lovers and burning child through fire sort of that ends up happening stuff like that there are some parallels there there's parallels with like Ragnarok there's parallels with seeking for knowledge and yes, all sorts yeah. of really exciting I love when this links to stuff yeah. <laughs> um but yeah that's structured really well yeah I, I want to kind of mention a special mention to both Kate Phillips her performance as mm. Gundren is absolutely magnificent I think mm-hmm. she's she's wonderful but I think I've, I've, you know, my heart really belongs to Samantha Dakin's um, yeah. Freya that almost Swedish kind of sounding like voice kind of you know daughter, you're going to go through a massive trial and kind of like I just, I just kind of love those interludes because she's got such a relaxing, calming voice, even when she's describing really horrible things that might be befalling <laughs> Gudrun. Yeah, so her voice is incredible and it really matches the poetic stuff that she's saying, the beautiful images that she says. And like you say, even when it's harsh and stuff, it really matches with that the softness in her voice, but the strength and softness is just, yeah, wonderful. So lovely to listen to. But yes, this brings on to something that I definitely wanted to talk about, I'm sure you do as well, um, is the use of accents in it. So obviously, I mean, they travel a lot. There's a lot of travel that goes on. But the main thing, and certainly at the start, is set in Iceland, as we've talked about. And yet, (laughs) almost all the characters, apart from Frey, who has a kind of Scandinavian-y accent, I don't know my Scandinavian accents well enough. Despite speaking a decent amount of Norwegian, I don't know my Scandinavian accents well enough to place it very well. But yeah. Whereas Guthrie and everyone else um, has like a Northern English accent. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I do find it funny. I do find it funny because I, it, this isn't a weird thing. This is used so much. It's like, okay, we've got kind of a, a rurally setting in the past. Let's go Northern English. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure when I listen to, I might have this wrong. I might be confusing it with something else, but I'm pretty sure I listened to a radio version of Don Quixote set yeah. in Spain but it was kind of <laughs> rural, old-timey, let's give him Northern <laughs> English accent. <laughs> um, and obviously it's, it's made for an English audience. It is BBC. Yeah. But yeah, and I don't know that I have too much to say about it. It just needs to be commented on. Yeah, it is kind of a weird, it's the same thing with, I think most notably in Game of Thrones, mm. a lot of um, the Starks had that kind of like Northern accent. And in one way it's good because you know, regional accents in audio productions yeah, I think yeah, yeah. are really, really important. But it, mm-hmm. I think it is getting a bit meme now where it's kind mm. of like, well, it must be some Southern English producer. I'm assuming Southern English producer making the assumption, well, how do we kind of make this sound cold and harsh? Yeah, code those things into it, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's because you can't even make the argument that some people will use sometimes about, you know, making it understandable because – 
Freya has got a Scandinavian accent, yeah. you know, so surely you could have other people with, you know, it isn't a sense of, oh, people won't listen to it because they can't understand it. It's like, well, <laughs> you're asking them to for good amounts of it with the narration. So, yeah. But like I say, it is wonderful to listen to. I do actually, you know, love the voices and, and love the performances and things like that. But yeah. And then so when the Norwegians come in a rather villainous uh, sort of capacity, they have a much more posh southern <laughs> yes they did didn't they yeah. yes which yeah. is another just a coding of these are the or just how you split groups you know and it ends up these are the goodies these are the baddies but yeah a way of splitting groups is by using those two different accents and it's and so i think i mentioned before i did a module on dialect in film and literature at uni and my professor spoke about a time when she was watching a french film i think and it's set in a prison and there were these people having a chat and she hadn't really understood what was going on but what she later found out that one of them had an accent that was sort of linked to organized crime kind of thing so you know sort of imagine if we had heard them speaking in an italian american accent and then we would have you know because of how we've been taught to with other films yeah. and stuff, would have assumed, oh, it's related to the mafia <laughs> kind of <laughs> thing. So basically that was the experience she'd had with that film. Now, obviously, as I kind of touched on before, wouldn't be able to very well distinguish different accents. If you'd have had someone with an Icelandic accent and then someone with a Norwegian accent, I, I, there are differences. I probably could tell some differences, knowing yeah. some of both languages. But yeah, they're not going to be the easiest to distinguish. Whereas Northern English and more posh, more received, and certainly more Southern English is a much more definite divide for people to easily recognise in England. Yeah, I think um, I think that's a really good point that you've made there. One of the themes that runs through the story is the old uh, religious beliefs uh, mm -hmm. versus new religious beliefs and you know people with the more southern uh, sounding accents the more, more rp sounding accents are the religious invaders bringing you know mm -hmm. what they describe as the white christ over yeah. to these pagans so i think there's um i don't know there, there's something in there about you know people with um the more northern accents kind of having older beliefs with maybe mm. people from the south having more modern beliefs in there as well i think there's I don't know if that's something that the producers were thinking about or it was just a, it was a convenient way to separate the two different yeah. Um, tribes. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And then even so, when they travel much further afield, you know, you still have similar things. And yet you have the odd character that has a different accent. So... Um, Is it Marlas or what's his name? I think so, the, yeah. Uh, from Antioch, I should have written yeah. his name down. And the French priest... I, mm -hmm. I'm assuming he's French, but yeah. It's sounded, certainly yeah. that kind of voice, yeah. yeah. And um, I feel like there was some more as well. There was uh, the concubine. The concubine had like, I think a lot of the characters had like, I would say generally Manchester sounding accents or Yorkshire sounding accents to me. And I think one of the concubines sounded like she was a bit Geordie. Oh, to right. my ear, yes, to my ear anyway. So yeah, that's fair. If the, if it was earlier on, I may have been forgetting it. I yeah. sort of listened to the first two series rather slowly and then yeah. binged the last five in the yeah. last few days. What did you get up to? Because I'm I'm only on season five at the moment. Uh, I was on season five two days ago, and, okay. <laughs> and okay. I listened to the the rest of series five, series six, and series seven. I okay, got very yeah. obsessed near the end, and it is definitely the kind of thing that you can binge if you want to. The time just it's sort just, of 
so Moorish is kind of like a Jaffa yeah, cake. You just kind definitely. of, I just listen to another uh-huh. 15 minutes of it. Yeah. So yeah, it just, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing when you think, oh, I can fit another 15 minutes in. <laughs> and, you know, or you part way through it and you're like, oh, yeah, I can listen to, you know, another seven minutes. That's fine. Um, yeah, it's really good. And I do, especially when it gets really heavily plotted, I do recommend you don't need to binge <laughs> two and a half series in a day, but I do recommend kind of listening to it relatively close by because otherwise you will kind of forget what, wait, what just happened? <laughs> Where are yeah. they now? Um, who is that? So yeah, I, I recommend that you listen to it in a, in a decent span of time, but don't think that you have to block out however many hours or you can't listen to it. It's not like that. Yeah, it's not. I, it is quite, it's kind of like a really rich chocolate cake um, mm. in terms of the way that it's plotted. Mm-hmm. A lot of the political machinations and you need to kind of really keep in mind in your head, all right, how does this person relate to this other person? to mm-hmm. this other person, to this other person, or how does Gundren necessarily doing this one thing here affect a piece on the chessboard all the mm. way over there? So it does help kind of listening to it in close proximity yeah. to each other. Yeah, um, so I kind of re-listening to the first two or three seasons of this or two or three series, I don't know mm-hmm. what the correct term is. So mm. I've, I mentioned I, I recently read uh, Wolf's Den by Elodie mm-hmm. Harper and it took me a long time to get through that book. I don't know what's happened to me recently, but just when there's kind of scenes of like implied or explicit sexual violence, I find it quite mm. difficult to get through that That's at the fair. moment. So mm-hmm. especially, you know, if there's anyone who might have issues with, with that, I think it's, it probably would be a fair trigger warning to put out there, um, especially in the first two, three series. Gundren does go through a pretty harsh time w- uh, with some of the men. In this, I don't know, how did you kind of feel about the violence and the uh, sexual violence in the story? Yeah, I think personally I found that, it, I mean, it's definitely there. Yeah. It is definitely a big part of it. I didn't find the actual how it was presented. They don't do it overly explicitly. It's certainly not one of those cases where they kind of want to shock factor you about yeah. it. Or it's anything not like voyeuristic that. at all. It's just really mm. sad. Yeah, and it is definitely more of a comment on women being used as pawns to further you know the property that people have and that sort of thing than it is anything about the sexual so it's, it's that kind of thing that i mean it happens to three different women in this at least explicitly yeah. that they are married off to a significantly older man for other people's Ugh, purposes Christ. and he yeah. will be, he will be using them you know, yeah. for their body whenever they want. Yeah, yeah. It, it's mostly shining a light on that. Yeah, it's not like a voyeuristic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the last thing I've got um on here is well, we've really not actually mentioned the central relationship in the story, which mm. is kind of the relationship between Gudrun and her daughter Sigrid, uh, yeah. and that is such a heartbreaking yes relationship. It made me so sad, kind of yes. seeing these two people. You know, what happens with them? How did you feel about, um, what were your kind of reflections on that? No, definitely. I'm totally with you. And I remember being happy at moments when I thought it was going to go worse than it was. And then, oh no, <laughs> it goes bad again. And then, yeah, a real roller coaster with that. I actually thought when I was listening to it, so we spoke, I think, off podcast um, <laughs> about <laughs> the fact that I'd been watching Snowpiercer, yeah. the TV series. And if anyone listening has watched it, the relationship with Alex and Melanie is very similar. They're apart for a while. There's another person poisoning their opinion of them. There's a lot of times where you don't know 
if they like them or don't like them. You don't know if they're working with them or against them. And yet there's some real deep love there, but there's also some, you know, justified feelings of betrayal, but then a really defiant daughter that both wants a connection with their mum, but also is very determined to have their own their own path and their own beliefs and their own yeah sense of self and stuff like that i definitely think that's a parallel with their relationship for sure yeah i think it's um it's 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 really it's a really tough one because you you can kind of understand each character's motivation for doing the things that they do Mm -hmm. yet whilst also holding in your head they're actually all actually also acting pretty unreasonably as well Mm -hmm. at the same time it's kind of i understand you're feeling hurt but that's not really uh, (laughs) sensible and the the other thing i wanted to pick up on what you said was the idea of there's so many points through the the series where you think she's actually going to get back. She's actually going to mm. reconnect. And it's just, it pulls you away at the last moment. Mm-hmm. And then are oh, you slowly building back up to that point again? Yeah. And that's just, again, masterful storytelling. Yeah. About that with the relationship with Sigrid and stuff like that, I really liked how Guthrum was both a mother and all this other stuff. Yeah, I really liked that. I wasn't sure how much I would like that going into it. So kind of linked with Snowpiercer again, when I found out that Melanie had a daughter, I was like, of course she does. A strong lead um, that's a female has to also have a child because they're female. Of course they have to. And it, it annoyed me a bit. I'll be perfectly honest. I went on a bit of a rant about it. It's like, why can't she just be a strong woman that wants to live her own life. Um, so I sort of thought maybe I would feel a bit like that. But no, I really didn't in this. In this, I felt it was, and to be fair, later on in Snowpiercer as well, I felt like this was, it was showing that you can have both a caring maternal love and a desire to give your whole life for your child and yet also be a murdering badass <laughs> yeah. um, that thinks of yourself and also of your community and it, it was great that it, it wasn't at all saying for a woman to be a woman they have to be a mother and then also yeah sure you can try and be strong and fierce if you want it was kind of a this specific woman has these multiple facets she is both maternal and aggressive i'm not necessarily yeah. saying they're opposites but you know what i mean that she can be all these things it was very much a definitely this individual can be these these various things and i did really like how that worked yeah because i think one of the central aspects of like Gundrum's character is her ambition she's kind mm-hmm. of sort of offered a choice at the start of the story yes. whether she can live like an ordinary forgettable life or she can mm-hmm go through these and she i feel she's kind of like is she warned explicitly that you know she's she's gonna maybe go through a lot of hardship yeah, but she yeah, might yeah. live an extraordinary life and she chooses mm-hmm. the hard paths that's that there as well definitely do you want to talk about the sound design a little bit sure yeah so i love that in you know classic radio play fashion but also what we had with slain as well yeah. uh, the nice sound effects of background things it puts you in the beautiful landscape that there must be in iceland with the whistling wind and the crashing waves and stuff like that is great you hear birds at points um just clanging of stuff but not in any sort of overdone way i think this has been the theme of a lot of stuff that we've reviewed yeah they've done a really good balance of you have sound effects in there but it doesn't sound like oh it says plate in the text therefore we must have someone putting a plate down on the table sound effects you know it's done in a really good atmospheric kind of way yeah i I would definitely 
agree with that. I loved the musical stings that they use to kind yes. of punctuate the yes. beginning and the end of episodes. And quite often when Freya's, uh, mm-hmm. with Freya's interludes as well, they're kind of, they're haunting and ominous, but also kind of like beautiful as yeah. well at the same time. Yeah, they really are. They're really lovely. I completely agree with that. And also nice kind of variations on them as well for when things become more dramatic. So you still have the same kind of song, but it changes a little bit. Also, I don't know if you've, you probably haven't got to this section yet, but it actually ends up later on where Sigrid is spoken to by the Virgin Mary. And you have a kind of choral choir type music that replaces the one that you've had in the rest of it. Oh, okay. And so there's a, a really nice, interesting cue and, and link with those two that I thought was fabulous. But then also uh, with the one that's in most of it, A, I think it's beautiful, but I just wanted to recommend to anyone if you liked that, but also want something else. I, a few years ago, was very obsessed with Iceland. Um, still am a little bit, not going to lie. But I started listening to some Icelandic folk music. And genuinely, if you just YouTube Icelandic folk music, the top few results are just incredible. I really, really love them. I love that there is, I mean, I guess, you know, let, let's go all, you know, yeah. philosophical and say how it parallels with Guzman. But you have like really deep, booming drum sounds and then little light flutes. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, but they both work together so yeah. beautifully. That's what I love about them. And that's why I keep going back and listening to them. I did most of my GCSE revision with Icelandic folk music in the yeah. background. I still listen to it now. It's fabulous. And yeah, the, the main thing that I love about it is that you have such deep boomingness and also such light, high and they just both meld in so beautifully together. So yes, if anyone likes this music, but also wants even more authentically Icelandic music, yeah, YouTube some Icelandic folk music and you'll not be disappointed. Yeah, it's um, obviously for a BBC production that they're going to get the sound design on point, but it really mm-hmm. did add, I felt, a lot of emotional heft to, to moments in the story. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. kind of, we've had this discussion before where you don't want it to be, too intrusive but i think they struck the balance perfectly so yeah i think i've maybe touched on all the points that i wanted to to mention here so is, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with regards to the i say keep saying book but it's not a book mm. it's it's a, you know, a radio play yeah yeah well i think i might go do a little bit more of like comparing to other things yeah sure um, i think because there, there were a lot of things that came to my mind while i was listening and I mean, one very obvious one is Neil Gaiman and American Gods. Yes, yeah. Now, obviously, there are some. You I mean, know, they're, they're they're really different, but I can see where you're getting the comparison from. Yeah, well, well, so because so, yeah. obviously you've got just generically they both have some basis in Norse mythology, but I'm not going to be that basic because I'm aware <laughs> that's a very just like oh my god, anytime Norse mythology is mentioned, it's Neil yeah. Gaiman. He's not yeah. the only person, there. and I know he's not. I fully know he's not. It's definitely yeah. not that. The thing that really is why I want to mention it is about the idea that kind of it sort of only comes in later on I guess but that kind of idea that possibly everything is true you know all these conflicting different beliefs it's not that one is true so I think when you first listen to it I mean you have Freya speaking to you you can't deny that Freya is true in this situation but you don't know if maybe well that's the thing the whole point is that that is real and yet like i said later on you do have instances where the virgin mary starts speaking and it certainly suggests that that is 
also true. And it's kind of an idea that by people believing things become true and not in a kind of way that I think, you know, Guthrie is there in a sleep. She's thinking Freya is saying, and then these exact words that Freya says, and because I believe it, it's true. It's, it's not that, but it's kind of a, because she has such a strong belief in, in Freya and these other Norse gods, that these become a thing and then they go off and live their own lives and they're, they're affecting in this way and they're part of her, you know, and they're brought into being. And I thought it was an interesting mm. question that it doesn't answer, but it's a kind of a, yeah, it does yes. raise that question of what is true. Is there a true? Is it a kind of a, it's true for you personally and therefore it's true? So I think that's that's really interesting. Uh, mm. That's a fascinating perspective. That's, um, so I know Neil Gaiman was quite good friends with Terry Pratchett. And one mm-hmm. of the things that comes up again, time and again in Terry Pratchett's work is kind of like the power of belief. Uh, yeah. You know, the power of belief, it can bring things into existence that mm-hmm. uh, might not necessarily be there and it is really truly a matter of perspective mm-hmm. on what your belief can actually bring into existence so yeah there's definitely something about and kind of you know you meant mentioning freya i don't know if there's like supernatural elements in this story mm. on or not so it's kind of like it's very subtle isn't it yeah. so it's the kind of a when she invokes and she asks Freya, you know, please help, or when Freya says, I was always watching over you, in those moments, things tend to go well. Yes. Or, you know, not like amazingly, but things work out. Well, things... nothing goes amazingly well. Yeah. In story. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. That's why I didn't want to be over promising anything like that. But yeah, it's kind of an idea that, you know, when things are put down to luck or fate, that the gods can influence that. It is that sort of thing. There is no direct intervention necessarily, but that kind of a, yeah, you're hoping it's true. And then the fact that it does go right, Freya the narrator attributes it to herself. And you can kind of see that there has been a influence. But yes, like you say, it's not kind of, you know, they smite down (laughs) all these things. It's not that kind of mythical. Yeah. And it's that, you know, the idea of belief and kind of willing things into existence i think that's yeah because that's definitely something that you know especially american gods plays Mm -hmm. around with quite a lot in terms of vying for people's hearts and souls yeah in a way and what you can kind of offer them and you know whether that's the comfort of like tradition or the threat of violence from new Mm. ideas and coming in and and definitely christianity is definitely seen as um or for me is definitely treated as a very aggressive yeah ideology that's being placed upon these people but there's also quite a few of the characters get a lot of comfort from those religious beliefs as well so it's kind Mm. of an interesting way of uh just i'm not too sure what she's trying to say about religion within the the entire thing as well yeah and that's the thing that's one of the things i quite like about it because yeah it got to the end and like i say there are some ways that i do think okay so that was and that is the case and stuff and yet it leaves it quite open-ended you know i don't know if freya is you know, the Norse goddess Freya, or if Freya is Guthrun's Norse goddess yes. Freya, you know? It's yes, kind of, yeah. I, I, I don't know that. And I think that's really, I really like that about the ending of it. It isn't clear that all these things are, I guess, true for everybody, that kind of thing, as to how unique and stuff um, she is. I guess, you know, going back to American gods, the idea that there are multiples of these gods in different places because they've changed and stuff like that. And there's multiple versions of them. 
Yeah. It doesn't in any way explicitly suggest you to think that in Guthrum, but it's an interesting thing to think about if you yeah. if you tried to answer the question of is this real or not. Yeah, it's kind of that um you know, going again slightly back to popular Norse mythology is kind of mm-hmm. the um are you watching Loki at all? On, um, I've caught a bit. Um, it, yeah. it does look fab. I've not fully watched. Yeah, so it is um, the last episode. Absolutely one of my favourite episodes mm. of TV. Of what I've watched this year, but this wow. the, this <laughs> this idea of kind of having variants of mm. different gods, I think, is also quite a, an interesting idea as well yeah. in terms of what you just mentioned. Whether this the Freya that's narrating the story is Gudrun's Freya or is actually Freya. Yeah. The actual Freya as well. So, yeah. 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 An really interesting. interesting. And then, so the last little like comparison thing that I thought at one point, there's one specific part where Guthrie overhears what's going on somewhere in a kind of a plot situation and she overhears what she's not meant to overhear and because i've been listening to it recently is probably yeah. why it put me back in when lyra is listening to what goes on with lord asriel's visit to oxford yeah. and yeah and i then at that moment i was kind of oh that feels very lyra and then i thought actually you know there's a lot of lyra in Guthrun, there's this oh, idea yeah, that she has a destiny yeah. that she's got to complete. She's underestimated by a lot of people. She's going to make wrong decisions. She's destined to betray people. Yeah. And yeah, carry heavy burdens and stuff like that. You know, a lot of the time when the fact that she's female plays a part in the role. And just, yeah, I felt a lot of parallels between those two characters as heroes of a story that was really good. I think that's a really interesting comparison. That's a that's a that's a bang on comparison, actually. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> there, there is, uh, yeah, that's not a character that actually immediately would have um, come to my head. Uh, Gudrun, for me, like if, if I was going to make a comparison to like a, a popular other kind of TV show, it would be for me. She's kind of like a mix between um, Arya Greyjoy and Sansa. Kind right. of like that sort of, um, you know, Sansa towards the end of like the Game of Thrones books mm-hmm. is, did I say Greyjoy? That's, that's absolutely mm-hmm. tough. Arya Stark and Sansa Stark. Don't, don't at me. On social media. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sansa Stark kind of like, kind of Sansa constantly, you know, through being treated badly, having to think really carefully about how she talks mm. to people and considering each move in that Indian sentence pressure that puts her under and kind of like Arya's intense ferocity mm. Gudrun's definitely a ferocious yes character as well so yeah so I think that for me I don't know why more people aren't talking about this series yes. I think definitely more people should listen to it I would highly recommend you check it out it's beautifully written beautifully placed fantastic characters great performances and I mean you get uh you know you don't get seven seasons on BBC radio without being somewhat successful but I think yeah. it should be held in for far higher esteem that, than it is at the moment kind of what your thoughts on in recommending it and for stuff sure like i think it's absolutely fabulous i mean it certainly wasn't just a case of we were recording and therefore i made myself listen to it in the last few days because i wanted to because i was so gripped by it um, and so loved it you know I, it was fantastic it was really good i think we've spoken about so many reasons why there are so many more that <laughs> would take forever it's genuinely really good i think yeah everyone should listen to it and certainly don't if you feel like you might be being put off by the beginning of it if it feels slower and stuff than what you thought bear with because it will turn that around (laughs) it's a little bit like the wire in that uh, respect kind of the first couple Mm -hmm. of episodes might be a bit difficult to get through but it does pick up some steam and the first two episodes are only half an hour long 
yeah exactly get through that and um it does pick up steam yeah another uh, good lot. thing you know we've mentioned how it's bbc you can listen to all seven seasons on bbc sounds for free um yeah. so yeah i can recommend doing that you catch a bit of their outro to woman's hour on <laughs> on some of them at some point and also a bit of a trigger warning in that one um because there's a, new, a particular news story that they talk about that yeah i wasn't really yeah. looking for that to be brought up while yeah. i was in the middle of Goodwin. but um but apart from that it's fine and you know it's absolutely free doing it through there it's weirdly split up so just yeah, yeah be careful that it stops part way through season five and switch to the other one and find the rest of season five don't do what i do and go oh that must be the end of season five let's start season six and get some yeah. spoilers yeah <laughs> make sure yeah. you get make sure you fit all the episodes so but, yeah when i originally listened to it kind of however many years ago they did like an omnibus episode which mm-hmm. aren't available at the moment so the omnibus would be the entire season in one yeah. like one hour chunk that those aren't available on the bbc website for whatever reason it's also available as actual proper audiobooks on mm-hmm. the penguin random house i think penguin random house do a lot of bbc yes um, yeah, yeah, books yeah. So it's available there so if you want to but you can you can listen to it free through through bbc sounds as well so yeah Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, we're, we're a little bit undecided on what the next episode is going to be. We might have some exciting news um, at what the next book might be. But yeah, just keep an eye on your social media for that one. Um, any other thoughts, Poppy? Yeah, I mean, we've certainly mentioned one a few times in here that we will be talking about very soon. Um, yeah. So you might be able to guess um, with that. And also the ones that we promised you at, at the end of the first season. So talking about carpet people and having some more guests on will definitely be happening. Yeah. at some point yeah and uh, just to, to say thank you guys for listening and thank you so much yeah please please subscribe please please keep listening we've got exciting plans for the future yeah. and share with all other audiobook lovers in your life or book lovers in general maybe we can convert them to the audio format yeah definitely very appreciated okay thanks guys bye thank you so much bye